Welcome to the Course Reports. We're back after a couple weeks off, and this week we're going up to Balmy, Minnesota, and Hazeltine National Golf Club to talk with Chris Trittaball, golf course superintendent and host of the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Chris is a fellow Ryder Cupper, and we're going to bring in another Ryder Cupper, soon to be at Whistling Straits, Chris Zugel, golf course superintendent, the American Club, Whistling Straits Golf Course, veteran of multiple PGA Championships, and host of the 2020 Ryder Cup. I'm Curtis Tyrell, certified golf course superintendent, master greenkeeper. I'm here to give it to you straight, bring you the smooth and true facts, so it's time to get on the green. It's time for the Course Reports. Well, you have tuned in to a very special episode of the Course Reports. This one has a panel like you probably have never heard in one spot at one time before. And I want to welcome each of the guys here individually, starting with Chris Trittaball, who is right on the heels of the KPMG Women's PGA Championship. Chris, thanks for joining the Course Reports. How are you today? Uh, I'm great. I'm great. Uh, as we were just uh, exchanging pleasantries and getting ready for this, I, I said that uh, I wouldn't have said the same thing a week ago, but today I'm feeling really good. The weather's great. The course is coming along very nicely and uh, ropes are up. So, uh, you know, we're getting close to ready for a championship. Well, we couldn't be hitting you at a busier time. We really appreciate you joining us. Uh, you've had an active tournament schedule with the most recent Ryder Cup uh, in 2016 and now another major championship on your hands. You must love the adrenaline of it all. Uh, I do. Um, I do wonder how people, um, how different different folks um, do a, an event every year. I'm not sure I could handle that. Um, you know, we're about two and a half years since the Ryder Cup and uh, it's um, it's all come quite quickly, but it's, it's fun. And I think the more that the you get closer to the event like we are um, today, you know, that adrenaline kicks in and, and you do really get excited about it. And it's, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. And, you know, anybody who's listening does a, a member guest and does, you know, big tournaments at their own course. And we all know how that feels. And, and this is like that, you know, just times a whole bunch. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's great fun. And, and we really, uh, we really enjoy getting to do it. And the staff here has, has done many, many, many of these events. And so they're all just pros when it comes to handling something like this. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And I tell you, it, uh, it certainly is the adrenaline that, that we all crave and, and are addicted to probably if we admitted it. And, and this next guest, Mr. Chris Zugel, who is the superintendent at Whistling Straits, host of the 2010 and 2015 PGA Championships. And Chris, you're next on the docket with the 2020 Ryder Cup. Welcome to the Course Reports. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You just made a trip out to Pebble Beach. You, you, you're happy to be back in Wisconsin? Yeah, uh, Pebble Beach is that, that area. I never had the luxury of making it out there and um, seeing it firsthand is it's pretty amazing. That's a special property. Uh, it's, it's nice to be back in Wisconsin, though. Um, there's about 90% less people per square mile than there are there. So I was, I was getting a little bit uh, people overload. Uh, we're pretty lucky to be out here in the middle of nowhere. But um, yeah, I hear you. You know, you know, one thing that I think is unique, at least to me about your property is, is you hear a lot of, of people say, oh, when you go to Augusta, you, you'll never appreciate what it's like until you get there. It, TV just doesn't do it. 
Whistling Straits is the same kind of effect to me. When you walk past that clubhouse and you view Lake Michigan and all that's going on there, um, do you hear that at all? I do. I, it's it's pretty common for people to, to comment on the dramatic views that Pete Dye created making the golf course. The, it's, it's hard to beat. It's it's replicated in some places. Um, some golf courses, you get that same like wow factor. Um, Pebble Beach was one that was really it was up there as far as something that just you know your jaw drops when you walk in. And I hear people say that about Pebble Beach, and I'm so used to being at Whistling that I get a little bit maybe maybe used to the to the views and used to the the kind of scenery. But um, right, but it's it's pretty common for people to be awestruck when they get out there and see see the you know the landforms and lake michigan out there and lake michigan's every day it's a different color and the, you know the the sunrises are amazing and the sunsets and it's it's a common theme you know being used to something like that is what i think you could call a good problem to have <laughs> yeah i think you're right chris back to you up up there in hazeltine so tell us about your spring it's been uh, cold and a little wet yeah, it seems like that's been the case almost the entire country is cold and wet and slow. And, um, you know, it's it's been a spring for patience. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, you know, as superintendents, I think that patience is maybe one of our one of our least favorite things to have to practice. And especially when you, you know, you're looking at the calendar and every day that goes by gets you closer and closer to a, a major championship. You uh, You just start to get a little nervous and you start to you know, get a little bit tight and you get a little crabby and, um, you know, a little bit, uh, just, it just doesn't make work that enjoyable. You know, there were days where I'd be out on the course trying to do something and walking around and I, it's like, I just got to leave, you know, I got to go back to the office. I can't look at this anymore. Um, Um, and you just keep waiting for it to, to get going. Um, but it did two weeks ago, a little late, but that's all right. It's going good now. So. You've been at this some t- some time now. So you're originally from Minnesota, is that correct? I, I am. Yeah, I've lived here and worked my whole career here. So, um, you know, it's it's not uh, it's not surprising to see it, but uh, it certainly was weird. Extended. If it's a, a long spring, or it wasn't even a long winter because it wasn't winter like it was just really crummy, uh, cold, and you know, not getting soil temps up and that kind of thing. So. Right. Right. So. Tell us about your career path, where you went to school, and and how you one day ended up at Hazeltine National. Yeah, I, I I'm from Albany, Minnesota, which is about 90 minutes from from where I'm sitting here at Hazeltine now, and um, I went. Uh, it's a small little town, golf course, right right kind of in in the middle of town, and started working there as a kid, just and really liked it, and liked you know more of it than just like hey, this is a fun job to do in the in the summer, but, you know, wanted to know more about it, wanted to know, you know, um, how you were able to, to get grass to be the type of grass that you had on greens and, you know, wanted to find out about that. So, um, worked there for a number of years, then went to the university of Minnesota originally to be in landscape architecture, um, found out that was going to take me four years of undergrad, three years of master's program to get any kind of shot at working for a golf course architect or landscape architect. Realized I couldn't draw and figured, you know, turf grass was my next best bet. So (laughs) got into the turf grass program um, and just, you know, wasn't a great student. I just sort of saw it as a means to an end and and tried to get through everything as as sort of minimal effort as I could. And, um, and, but started working at a golf course down there, uh, down here in the Twin Cities in St. Paul town and country club 
Um, eventually graduated, uh, spent a year as assistant at St. Cloud Country Club near home, back to town and country for five years as, as an assistant, and then uh, got my first superintendent job at a place called Northland Country Club up in Duluth, Minnesota, which is up on the tip of Lake Superior. I was there for six years and, and then, uh, um, you know, sort of in a very, um, I think, fortuitous manner, you know, a lot of things worked out in my favor. Um, applied for the Hazeltine job and, and got it, um, you know, sort of on a track that I think is a little bit unusual in the business today, you know, didn't work for any of what you would think of as the big names in the industry. Um, that, you know, a place like Hazeltine that's going to host these events seems to have. And um, I didn't, I'd never worked a major championship. I hadn't, I'd barely been to one, let alone worked one. And, uh, you know, was somehow able to, uh, I must've done a pretty good job of convincing them I could, I could do the job and, uh, and got it. And, um, you know, I think, I think uh, I've justified it, I think every day since. So um, this is my seventh year at Hazeltine, obviously at the Ryder Cup in 2016 and now the KPMG this year. Um, Boys Junior Amateur Championship next year, um, U.S. Amateur Championship in 2024, and then the Ryder Cup again in 2028. So, it's a, <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good one. Um, I'm very fortunate to get to be here, and you know, uh, if they'll have me, I'll, I'll like to continue to be here through all those events, and uh, and you know, that would put together a list that I think is. Uh, is, is pretty nice. So uh, it's, it's a good spot. There's no doubt about the fact that and everybody in the industry knows that you are setting up what I would call a tradition there at Hazeltine. You know, you've got your own, your own program and, and you deliver it the highest quality and, and you're a sought after guy. And uh, so congratulations to you on that. I, I always love hearing the, the stories about uh, how everybody in our business kind of gets to where they're at. Cause they're all similar and they're, but they're all different in, mm -hmm. in, in the pathways are, uh, always really interesting. And, you know, Chris over there, Whistling Straits, are you a native Wisconsin person? I am not. My family is originally from the Milwaukee area, but I tell people my dad was in sales. So we moved around a little bit. I was actually uh, born in Boston and then spent most of my uh, youth in Atlanta okay. before I went to, went to school in Colorado State. Um, and it, funny enough, I studied landscape architecture as well. Isn't that so, right? uh, yeah, I, I'd never, I guess I'd, I'd known Chris for a while, but I guess we've never talked about our, our career paths, no. but that's, that's really funny. And I, yeah. I was more of the mindset where I was in that, that darn drafting room till like two, three in the morning, every, every day for my first semester. And I was like, this, uh, this has got to <laughs> stop. This is not good. <laughs> See, um, I just refused to go to the drafting room and decided I wasn't going to be able to make that. <laughs> I, I guess I had nothing better to do. I was like, whatever. It's, but then I was like, this is getting old. Um, so then in the horticulture department, which landscape architecture was, it, you know, you bump into other guys and uh, kind of would hang out with the turf students. And I was like, what are you guys studying? They're like, you know, turf grass management. I'm like, you can go to school for that? Like, that's crazy. Um, and my, my grandfather uh, worked for the Milwaukee Brewers from 1969 to 1984. So I had, you know, I had a close, close connection to, to turf grass and to sports field and sports turf management. So I was, I'm like, oh, that'd be cool. I could go back and, you know, work at a, at a, you know, major league ballpark. And um, so that was my goal uh, as when I was in college. And when I graduated college, though, it's the jobs that were open in that field were not really what I was looking for. And 
ended up getting a, a job at Whistling Straits when they were building the Irish horse. Um, so kind of put the finishing touches on the build there and uh, wanted to go on, move into getting an assistance job. And then I just basically looked for anywhere near a beach. That was my only requirement for a job. It just needed to be near a beach. Um, you know, had no, no experience anywhere that, you know, the turf was, you know, any Bermuda grass or anything like that. So just would apply, see a job on the, the golf course management website and, you know, send out my resume and got a job down at TPC Eagle Trace, uh, worked there for a couple of years and, it was not really my cup of tea, Florida. Turns out the beach was fun. Um, I went there like once in two years. Um, so I wasn't really what I expected. Uh, I was working, you know, 80, 90 hours a week and never went to the beach. But I did meet my wife down there. So that was a, a good thing that came out of it. Um, and she had told me, I was like, you know, I'd really like to move out of Florida. And she's like, oh, that's great. You know, we could move somewhere. Um, she's like, only just as long as it's not Wisconsin. So I was like, I was like, oh great! Um, oh, I got a job at Whistling Straits. I got another job back up there. So I'm like, hey, we're moving to Wisconsin. And so um, she gladly kind of came up uh, with me. Um, ended up working at Whistling Straits for a little bit, then went to Black Wolf Run as an assistant for a little bit. Uh, then came back to Whistling Straits. Uh, then I got a call from the Brewers to come down and and work uh, as the manager of the field. Um, for my, the boss that I ended up doing, I did an internship for, and it was a guy that my, my grandfather worked for. So it was, uh, I left there. It was one of those things where you get a call from the majors, you know, it's kind of cool. So yeah, for um, sure. I thought that was kind of hard to pass up. It was kind of a hard decision to make Worked there for a year and just was really kind of struggling with that. You know, the, the love of a golf course, you know, once you work on a golf course, you, you tend to get it in your blood. And it was, uh, I, we played golf, one day when the team was out of town, we went and played a course, you know, first tee time out. And I was like, I got to get out of baseball. Like this is, I need to get back on the golf course. Um, so ended up roundabout way, um, ended up as the superintendent of the straights course. And, um, you know, it's been, been a interesting ride yeah. to say the least. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I mean, you know, I didn't know that about your, your sports field, uh, sports turf, uh, a background and experience. I mean, you know, a funny story years ago, I was working in the Phoenix Scottsdale area and the bank one ballpark uh, superintendent gave me a call. He had borrowed a piece of our equipment and he asked me, he couldn't figure out how to get it going. So I said, yeah, I'll come down. And I drove down there and got on the field, got the equipment going and, and he gave me the whole back of the house tour and all this. And so we get to his office and, you know, I guess in my mind, I always thought, man, it's such a small acreage. It's got to be so much easier than a golf course. And, you know, these guys got it good, you know, yeah. and, and we get in his office yeah. and he's got a bed in there. And, and I'm like, yeah. I'm like, what the hell is that? Yeah. He's like, Oh man, you know, I'm here, you know, and he starts telling me about what it's like to be a, you know, a major leagues, um, you know, field manager and man, it, it's hard work, real hard work. Yeah. There were long days. It's all about that. It's all about that dirt. I mean, right? The, I mean, the dirt, you can't have the field covered because it's too hot, but the dirt can't get wet, so you're waiting for the tarp to pull the tarp out. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, we were lucky enough to have a roof, so we didn't sure. have to worry about – I pulled a tarp as an intern when I worked at County Stadium, um, So we were, but we were lucky with the roof. But the tarp was there just in case it was it, – uh, it, we needed it, but we didn't do that. But, yeah, it's kind of similar to, you know, regular – 
know, management thoughts where you, you know, 70% of your budget spent on labor. And so 70% of your time is spent in labor relation type things. And same thing with that, you know, I forgot what the percentage of the game that's actually played on the dirt. And right. so that's where all your time spent. So it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. It was, uh, my, my, the best story about the infield dirt, we were, went down to, um, Wrigley field and we were just walking around talking to the, the field manager down there. And I stepped on the, the skin and they had just like soaked it. Cause it's kind of a practice when the team's out of town, you just get that moisture content kind of where it can start to dry down similar to a green. And I sunk in like two inches on the back edge of the, the skin at Wrigley field. And I was like, <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah. My bad. Uh, well, that's, but, uh, that's cool, so man. That's, that's, yeah. that's good stuff. Well, you know, jumping back over to Hazeltine, Chris, um, tell our listeners what grass you're growing out there, uh, greens, teas, fairways, you know, in terms of species and, what your targets are and such. Yep. Uh, so teas, um, I'll start with those. They, they've been, you know, teas, like I think a lot of places are a little bit of a hodgepodge because, you know, a tea, especially if you've had championships over the years, a tea gets added here, moved there. And, you know, so when the grass was put in was, you know, it was all sort of different times and different places. So the teas are a little bit, you know, this and that, uh, the newer ones are all down in extreme seven. That's what we put on everything now. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, there's a few that are older, have a little more poa in them, maybe some older bent grasses. Um, and then the fairways and the greens were regrassed in 2010. Um, it was after the 09 PGA, and it was with the knowledge of the Ryder Cup coming in, in, in 2016. So the fairways are dominant stream seven, and then the uh, the greens are 8-4. Um, so the, the, the fairways... Um, are great. Uh, you know, Dominic Stream Seven is made up of um, has been made up of a couple different um, couple different creeping bents, uh, uh, SRO bents over the years. But it has always had 007 in it, and I, I just love that grass. And it's it's really great for our climate. It greens up really well. It gets growing fairly early in the season, and um, and it's wonderful. I mean, very little um, very little nutrient requirements the last two years. I think we've been half a pound or under of nitrogen on both years. I have had seasons since I've been here. I think three out of the six seasons that I've been here, I've not applied a fungicide other than snow mold um, to it. So it's got a lot of dollar spot resistance and that's really up here in a, in a kind of a normal summer. That's about all we'll see for disease, maybe a little brown patch or a little bit of leaf spot that'll run uh, in through it, but not enough that it's ever caused me to want to spray for it. So um, you know, I can get away without a fungicide in, uh, in the right conditions. In fact, um, here at the beginning of the year with the weather, the way it's been, um, we will only have a fungicide for the KPMG on the greens, uh, nothing else. Tees won't, tees and green and fairways won't have anything on them. So, um, so it's, it's a great grass in that regard. Um, greens are a four which is a wonderful grass in its own right. But I think that we're just pushing the limits of, um, the, the, the areas where you would really have it be ideal in the country. I think we're a little bit north of where you might want to have it ideally. Um, it's, it's, you know, we were talking just before we started, it's it, Curtis, it's a, it's a little bit like a locomotive, like it just chugs along and just takes a long time to build up speed. And then once it does that, it's, it's wonderful, you know, through the summer months when the weather is hot, um, it's really great. But in the spring, it takes a long time to come out of winter to really get its, uh, get its legs under it. So that's a little bit of what we're dealing with right now. And, and um, you know, it's, it's good, but it's, it's not great this time of year. Um, and then 
you know, it's, it's, uh, but USGA greens, um, you know, nitrogen, I've gone anywhere from a pound in a season, which is too little up to like two and a quarter, which I think is about right. Um, um, with USGA greens, I've found over the years, I really like for fungicide. Again, we don't get a lot of disease here. So I just kind of like going back and forth between Dacanil and, uh, and four or Mancazeb kind of keeps the, you know, the algae USGA greens. You just always sort of like have a little bit of moisture at the surface, you know, other than the driest parts of your year. And um, I just feel like there's always a, a little bit of algae just wanting to kind of creep into whatever, whatever openings you might have there. Area gets a little thin or you get a ball mark and a, that, you know, there's moisture there, you know, quite often. And that algae just kind of wants to get going. So I've found Dacanil and Mancazep to really kind of be a good rotation for us on the, the greens. So, uh, yeah, that's what, that's what we have for grasses. And then, you know, Kentucky bluegrass mostly in the rough, uh, you know, poa, fescue, tall fescue kind of things going around but yeah for our short grasses it's uh it's all bent grass and you know we're uh, uh eight years since the regrass and we're pretty well pure so so it's good which is not easy to do and so depending on where our listeners might be in the country you know they're, they're in the southern regions or or up in the northern regions where there's predominant poa uh poa surfaces creeping creeping bent grass is um, an ideal surface uh, for playability. It's, it can be, you know, depending on how it's groomed and prepared, it can be, you know, really superb. But kind of what you're describing, and I know you've, you've focused a lot on that, is just its capability to withstand the environmental elements of a climate like where you are in Minneapolis. So, I mean, you know, yeah. talk about that relationship to Poania and how you've really focused on making it so clean and so pure bent grass. Mm -hmm. Well, so I think what you, what a person needs to do is exploit the opportunities that they have um, when it comes to the very, you know, how, how those two species differ in what they want. So, it, you know, you can think about, you know, a person generally, I think would know all the differences between bent grass and pole, and I probably don't need to get into that um, and go through them. But what we really work on here are the two things that I think we can, we can, we can exploit, and that is the nutrient different, the differences in nutrient wants and needs. Um, and then also the way, um, the winter will impact, uh, bent grass and poa, um, you know, really tough for us to put any kind of moisture stress on poa during the summer. Um, th pretty frequent thunderstorms, Curtis, you were in Chicago, Chris is in Wisconsin. Uh, both of you know that, you know, periods without rain are pretty rare. Um, you know, droughts are maybe three weeks, four weeks, um, at the max. So moisture stress on POA is tough for us. Um, heat stress on POA is tough for us, but I think we can really exploit the nutrient um, differences. And so we really concentrate. Uh, most of our applications are nitrogen only. I can't tell you the last time I put phosphorus on our greens or fairways or even, even potassium. I mean, we just use, it's just nitrogen. It's ammonium sulfate and it's urea and that's it. And then the winter um, and just allowing the winter to come in and do what it does to POA which this winter in Minnesota was just, it decimated it. I mean, um, I have a lot of friends who are still, um, you know, I'm trying to get A4 bent grass to grow in it, but it's alive. And that's one thing compared to a lot of friends here who are, you know, trying to get greens to grow grass so that they can open them up and, and not have temporary greens. And there was just a lot of uh, poa death here in, uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul uh, this winter. We had an ice storm 
a rainstorm after Christmas that then immediately froze and kind of stuck around for most of the winter. So it was a tough year for, for Paula. And, you know, we exploit that. That's, that's one of our strategies. Yeah. You know, and, and I think that's really important to note that every area of the country is different. In fact, freaking every yeah. golf course and, 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 and the same area, you know, are different, but you know, it's hard to argue with the playability of Poanya when it's really, really good. And you find clubs that um, are so committed to that playing surface and I get it, but uh, Creeping bankgrass is clearly the, the the modern answer to that in the sense that it's inherently uh, designed to to be better and requires less inputs, uh, can handle the mm-hmm. environmental stresses. And so when a club or a superintendent is promoting a conversion, it's really to uh, be more sustainable, um, use less inputs and, and ultimately have... Um, the, the highest quality product with the with the least amount of effort or not effort but uh, uh, least amount of uh, risk. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it, for sure. Yeah, every every part of the country is different. Look, you know the people at, on the on the west coast, you know Pebble Beach, where they're you know it would be crazy for them to think uh, bent grass is the best thing for them to have. Uh, but you know here in, in Minnesota in our climate. Um, Probably Wisconsin as well, maybe in Chicago. I know a lot, a lot of, a lot of regressing has gone on in Chicago. So I would guess that you know there's been success there. Um, across the northern reaches, I think it's the best thing uh, for sure. Yeah. So Chris, what's it like? Uh, you know, right on the edges of Lake Michigan, fighting Poania, and, and where would you say you are with your bent poa population? Um, it kind of depends on tees. It's more of the wear areas that are um, pretty. I would say almost turned completely over to POA where people come up steps, you know, with caddies and, and the golf traffic, it's pretty concentrated where, where they can walk. There's not very open areas climbing the Hills. There's just one place out and one place in kind of thing. So some of the where areas, areas are pretty, pretty far gone. Um, the tees are spotty as well. I'm sorry. The greens are spotty as well, where the, um, Again, some of the exits, uh, some of the wear areas are a little bit on the, the more POA side. But the, the greens, you know, we're doing an all right job keeping it out. Um, the the fairways were originally seeded to find fescue, and that's kind of where the, the hiccup comes in in the whole management of POA, if you ask me, because it's not the best in Wisconsin, you know, especially where we are, where we stay wet. You know, you know, it rained probably between Tuesday and Wednesday. We got about an inch and a half of rain. Um, this morning it was 50 degrees and like a nice cool wind coming off the water. And it's, it's almost like a Pacific Northwest right along the, right along Lake Michigan. So, you know, inland, it could be, you know, blazing hot and we're, it, it could be 90 degrees inland and we're, we're sitting at 62, you know, um, with kind of a damp, damp air. So the fairways are, you know, it's, it kind of started to get more along the lines of what you see overseas in Scotland and Ireland where the strong grass prevails. So in some of the low spots, um, it's a losing battle to try and keep fine fescue in there. Right. Um, you know, the, the mentality is to manage for the fine fescue and then whatever POA can kind of, what it outcompetes, it outcompetes and it, it stays pretty, pretty, it's not like it spreads in the fairways. Um, throughout the year, you'll start to see it a little bit different in the fall. It'll start to get a little purple. Um, in the spring, the, the fescue's not really woken up yet. The poa is kind of green, and then it starts to even out, and then it goes through kind of some changes throughout the year, where it's almost like a, you know, color kaleidoscope of, of different colors out there. Right, right. You know, and I, you know, the the goal of this whole podcast is to try to get out to the general golfing public and just give them some background on 
what it's like to prep for a major tournament. And I think this general conversation we're having right now is really the, the message is, hey, you know, there's a lot of different grasses that we're working with just on one golf course. They all have different inputs, different demands, and it's really not easy. You know, uh, there's a, a, a very well thought out, organized plan to, to managing it. And that goes for, for guys like you that are hosting major championships and guys that are down the street that aren't. Um, you know, it's a very technical field and there's a lot to consider, um, you know, right down to, you know, the grasses uh, that you're working with. So, um, you know, that's really good stuff. You know, um, at Hazeltine, Chris, for next week, um, you know, what's different about what the, the players playing next week are going to play on in terms of the playability of the golf course compared to when you held the Ryder Cup in late September, early October? Is there any significant differences that they're going to that, that, that mm-hmm. viewers might notice or that the players might have to incur? Um, I think to viewers, it's going to look pretty similar. Um, you know, the colors, the colors are a little bit different this time of year. I've, I've uh, you know, I mean, any superintendent will know that, you know, spring grass looks different than fall grass. I think that the colors for the Ryder Cup were a little bit deeper, maybe a little bit more rich. Um, and at this time of year, I think the colors are a little bit, um, you know, there's a little bit of, um, they're a little bit more off. They're, they're not as deep and rich this time of year. There's a little more yellow to the, the, the color. And, and um, you know, that's part of our, our nitrogen strategy comes with that as well. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's okay. You know, it shouldn't look the same at the same, you know, at, at two totally different times a year. Right. And, um, you know, and it, it will play similar. I think, I think it's going to be with the weather forecast we have coming up and the, the, um, we're, we're, not dry, dry right now, but we have dried out. Um, and um, I think it will play firmer than it did during the Ryder Cup, although, you know, it wasn't splat ball even during that. The balls were, uh, balls were you know, moving along the fairway a little bit after they hit. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to play a little different. This will be a little bit more of a major championship uh, type of play. In our Ryder Cup, we had really short rough. I think you did as well, Curtis, at yours. Yeah. Um, you know, with the same captain, that's not surprising. Um, and, and so, you know, it didn't, it was pretty easy. Um, you weren't talking about, you know, shots out of heavy or rough to, to firm greens. And I think that that's what the, the women are going to see this weekend. Uh, if the weather stays as I think it probably will. So. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Uh, uh, I, that was going to be my next question. How's the rough and, and, uh, you know, what the impact. So it's, is, is it, is it flushing like it normally does in the spring right now where you're going to have to maybe mow it between now and the tournament or are you, or are you leaving it alone? Yeah, I think, um, so we did fertilize it and I don't typically like to fertilize rough before it seeds, um, because then I think you just kind of encourage a whole bunch of seed and a whole bunch of stockiness and it just, you know, the rough kind of grows up and it doesn't really get, get real thick. Um, we've all sort of seen that on our courses kind of happens every year, but um, we did fertilize sort of before it seeded. And so what it did is it produced this massive amount of seed and, and it was really stocky um for a couple weeks that's kind of coming to an end right now um but that's going to be one of the differences in in the way that the course looks the rough for the Ryder Cup was very uniform it was all sort of the same color and and now it's sort of you know it's a little bit yellow over here it's dark green here you know some of the different varieties and some of the different um, species that are out there look different right now because of the way that they seed and the time of year that they seed differently so um but the rough is tough because it is 
it is, it's the same height we had it during the Ryder Cup, which is three inches, at least when we mow it. Um, but it's, it's uh, because it is a little bit stocky in places, it's, it's sort of, you know, I think it's tougher to get the club through it. Um, so the plan right now is we'll mow it on Sunday night, we'll mow it on Wednesday night. Uh, but it's growing pretty good. And, it, you know, we were, like, at the Ryder Cup, we were 10 days away from really the end of our growing season. Whereas here, we're like two weeks into our growing season. Um, not that's not to say grass has only grown for two weeks, yeah, but you know what I mean. Sure. Yeah. And, um, when it's really when it's really going, but the rough is, um, you know, it's spring. It's spring rough in the northern reaches. It's it's seedy and it's stocky and it's it's pretty long and it's kind of reaching for the sky. So it, if you don't mow it for a couple of days, it gets pretty tall. So. Um, I think it will be plenty tough um, for the, for this uh, championship. Yeah, you know, for the viewers, I think it's it's great. So they've got Pebble Beach, uh, you know, leading right into Hazeltine National, major into a major. Uh, you know, the PGA Tour is going to be over at TBC River Highlands, which is a great golf course. I spent close to six years yeah. in, in Connecticut um, of my career, and so I've been there a few times, and, and it's a great place. Um, you know, but um, I hope that – uh, and I'm sure because I know that the KPMG Women's PGA Championship is, is new and it's growing. And uh, I hope that uh, they get the type, the type of viewership that they're looking for. And certainly people that like to listen to this program got to tune in because uh, they're going to get to see your classic venue uh, with a different look and a little different playability. So that, uh, I hope that works out. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, you, you segued, sure. I think, perfectly into our discussion on the Ryder Cup, you know, the the, the Chris, you're going to have yours here right around the corner. And, um, you know, the captains is is a big part of the, the, the whole event, right? You know, the big captain selection uh, ceremony and such. And then next thing you know, guys like us are talking to these captains and, and discussing course setup and course conditioning things along with Kerry Hegg of the, the PGA of America. But, um, you know, for me, what was interesting was the day that they announced uh, Davis Love to be the captain at Medina, uh, as the press conference was over, we met in the, the ballroom of, of the club, and we started talking about what kind of green speeds he was looking for, what, what he was thinking from a rough standpoint, and what his schedule was going to be like. And, you know, that was just a really neat opportunity for me to engage with uh, a player of his caliber on that level. Um Chris, uh, have you had any talks with Steve Stricker yet, or what has that interaction been like for you? Um, yeah, that's kind of a similar, similar, I guess, um, uh, schedule or chain of events that happened. They announced him. They actually announced him in Milwaukee um, at the, uh, the Pfizer Forum, and I wasn't I wasn't there for the for that press conference. He came up shortly after, and he had kind of a tight schedule to get in and out. Um, so I haven't, haven't met with him yet. He's scheduled to come out to go over, um, the golf course and set up and walk through it with Carrie and just kind of get a lay of the land and go over what he's looking for and, and what he thinks. And that's, it's nice too, with Carrie being a part of it. Cause he's so good at the setup also. So he'll, you know, he's familiar with the property and he can speak with Steve about, you know, what, what he's done in the past and what, what different things are happening. But, um, you know, it's similar to when like, kind of going back to the baseball thing with my grandpa worked for the Brewers back in the, the 60s and 70s. You know, they would cut the cut the rough a little higher for the for the faster team or for the slower teams. And, you know, they're not the rough, the infield, um, shave it down a little bit for the faster team. So the balls will get through. And it's kind of that's what makes it makes it, you know, kind of adds a little bit different 
flavor to it. You know, the, right, the right. setup is, it just makes it that much more exciting, brings it into the, uh, brings you into the, the, you know, part of the team and, and getting the, the golf course ready so that, you know, you can make it so that they have their best chance to, to bring the Ryder Cup back. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I mean, I think it's been known that Europe has engaged in this, this kind of relationship uh, with the golf course operators for a while. And, you know, it was 2008 at, at Hazeltine, or uh, I'm sorry, at Valhalla with Paul Azinger, where, you know, he had Mark mowing certain areas out to an intermediate rough at a certain length. And I mean, he really engaged with Mark um, through the process leading up to and, and through the event in terms of what he was looking for. And, you know, so I felt like, when we did ours that, that Davis was kind of piggybacking on, on Paul, uh, being engaged and, and Chris, how did, how did Davis interact with you and, and what was that, um, relationship like, and did he give any detailed directions that stood out to you? Um, I, boy, I didn't interact with him much at all. Um, I think I only maybe had three conversations with him through the whole process. Um, and I, I don't know why that was, it wasn't, it wasn't, um, that was not a, that's not a negative. He certainly, it wasn't like, you know, he kept me at arm's length or any of that, any of that nature. But I think, you know, the, remember they made the announcement in Florida, I, I recall when they, they were, it was the whole um, committee thing. And so the announcement was in Florida and he really wasn't, uh, he wasn't um, around a whole lot until later he came here and then um, had a lot of, interaction with the membership and that, and that sort of thing that I sort of kept, kept to the outside edge of the room. And, and I, you know, I really have enjoyed, and as both of you have over the years, I've enjoyed working with Kerry so much and I liked his personality and his per personality was such a great match for myself that I think I just allowed that to be my conduit to, to whatever it was that Davis was interested in, um, in doing. So, um, that was my experience, which wasn't, it wasn't negative, uh, you know, not having had that. It was just different, yeah, think, you know, so, which was, yeah, you know, and I, I don't want to make it sound like Davis and I were, you know, talking every week. That wasn't it. At all. You, know, you know, it was, no, it was no, one of yeah. those things. we didn't have, you know, it, it, it was limited too, but you know, he was just, he was, we talked mm -hmm. about it, you know, he was engaged. He, we went around and looked yep, yep. and, and let's make yep. no mistake. Kerry Haig is the boss, right. And, and, and he's the guy and he makes mm -hmm. all the final decisions, which is a good thing for everybody because <laughs> he's great. Right. And, uh, you know, so yeah. um, how about from the European side? Um, did you did you guys interact with um, or, or Chris, did you interact with Europe, uh, European team, the captain or anybody from uh, their European PGA Tour? Uh, not a lot. Um, Eddie Adams was out here. I met him, spoke with him a little bit. I uh, spoke with David Garland a little bit, who is Kerry's counterpart um, for Ryder Cup Europe. Um, I didn't have a lot of interaction with them. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this, this was this was really neat. One of the one of the really neat things out of the whole Ryder Cup was, uh, was that Darren Clark sent me a handwritten note afterwards. Um, two pages on, you know, sort of a, a note page, handwritten uh, in this really wonderful penmanship. And it was, it was really cool. Um, I didn't get a lot of that. I got a letter from uh, Bubba Watson sent me, he was an assistant captain, sent me a letter. And then Darren Clark sent me that and it's, uh, it's tucked away and it's really, really neat. So um, that was, that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it, uh, it's such a unique thing. I mean, 
you may have the chance to to do two of them, which I don't know anybody that that has done that. When's when's the next one scheduled for Hazeltine? Twenty eight. So we're nine years from now. So oh, yeah. you know, you're a young guy. Um, You'll make it. <laughs> yeah, I I think age is on my side, and um, you know, hopefully. Um, like I've, I've said, you know, if they'll have me, then I would love to be here. So. Right. Well, Chris, uh, over there, Whistling Straits, you, you're, you guys are obviously um, the clock is is on now, and it's uh, it's not too far away. So, what kind of things are you doing right now with the Ryder Cup in mind? Um, we've been working on some gallery movement, um, little tidbits on the, the outside of the golf course. We haven't gotten into anything on the golf course. Uh, you know, there's enough teeing ground where you can play every hole, um, probably as a par three to five. I mean, that's how much versatility there is in the, in the entire property. So a lot of that's, um, kind of already, already set up and just waiting to be tweaked. Um, you know, meeting with the kind of touch and base, we you know, go through the TV surveys and putting up camera towers and where they're going to go and all that sort of stuff. And, um, different vendors will come in from time to time that they're just kind of more or less getting the lay of the land. Uh, there's a little switch in the vendors that the PJ of America is using. So we're, we're most of them either have worked for the prior companies or um, know of other people that have worked. So um, but yeah, it's been kind of a, kind of just a holding pattern um, kind of waiting for the, the storm to begin um, right now, you know, waiting for the setup guys to start rolling in and, and throwing everything up. But um but yeah, it's been kind of a, a slow lead-in so far, which is good. We've been busy enough with golf and regular regular projects that, that we're not, you know, we're, we uh, planned out a lot of that stuff in advance. So we're this year we're kind of in the prep mode, getting ready for next year. Well, being a being a host site of multiple PGA Championships, you you've been through it before, so um, you know you know you know the routine. You should say. But what's interesting about what you what you're talking about is that there's a lot of non-turf related responsibilities with with being the, the superintendent of a, a Ryder cup or a major championship site. I mean, you know, you, you're talking about the vendors and the management of the production and the build out. Um, do you have a sense of how big that's going to be and, and um, other things that you might be working on that aren't necessarily about the golf course, like volunteer programs and such? Yeah, that's a big one. Um, and, you know, Chris came out for the 2015 PGA championship and, you know, we we're riding around and uh, talking about everything and, um, you know, sharing ideas and things. And then leading into the Ryder cup, he was like, be careful for how many volunteers, you know, you're going to get, you know, the doors going to beat down with everybody wanting to volunteer. And it was a slow start and we're definitely getting to that point and that whole navigation of all those people, um, you know, whether it's housing and shuttles and uniforms and food and, you know, where, you know, the hospitality at our, at our shop and all that sort of stuff is it can get, and it, it's weird. I don't know if they plan it, if they all get together and everybody emails on the same day, but it's like, you won't get anything for a while. And then one day it'll just be like a barrage <laughs> of phone calls and emails. And I, I feel bad because you want to get back to everyone personally. Um, and then sometimes it just gets lost in the shuffle where it's, um, you know, you want to have that, that nice relationship. We have uh, our office manager, Heidi is, she's kind of takes the, the bull by the horns in that one. And she's the, the go-to person for that. And she likes to do it. So it's, it's nice to lean on her for a lot of that stuff and she can just make sure she's keeping in contact with everybody so that they know where they're at in the, in the process. And, um, if there's anybody out there that I have missed, you know, I apologize. I'll get to you soon. Um, but, uh, 
but it's been a, a chore doing that, which is in the past, it's been, we've always had, we haven't hurt for volunteers. You know, we've never really struggled for volunteers, whether it's the Wisconsin, you know, people in Wisconsin. So I have such a pride in sports in Wisconsin that there's, there's always some, somebody from around that will help volunteer, but also just the, I mean, we are lucky enough to have just some big name tournaments um, with PGA championships that, that people want to come volunteer. So there's that, there's the, all the vendors, you know, trying to coordinate, who's in charge of that and put point people in charge. So you don't have to, they're not calling me. Um, they're calling somebody else that's dedicated to that. Um, and then in addition to that, you know, off course, you know, I, when you think off course or when I, you say off course, I think of our sheep, you know, we, we take care of 20 black face sheep. Um, so that's a, sometimes, uh, again, going back to where I grew up, I grew up in Atlanta. So, I mean, we didn't, I didn't know what a sheep was until I came to whistling Straits. So, um, so we're always messing with them. Are they going to have a role and a place in the Ryder cup? Uh, no, we'll take them off property for the Ryder cup, but uh, you know, that it's <laughs> funny, the guys from CBS for the PGA championships and now NBC, they don't seem to share any of their footage. You know, I'm sure there's like 20 hours worth of footage of these sheep, but nobody seems to share it. So they'll, they'll have to come out there at some point and make sure they get the sheep running through the, through the grass. And, uh, right. But uh, just in case they want to use it, yeah, right? they'll put it in some promo. I'm sure they'll they'll do something with it. To, you know, it yeah. seems to be the they want to see the bunker on number six, and they want to see the sheep is like in Dustin Johnson's bunker and all that sort of stuff. But you know, the it's like the golf course is yeah. second to all that sort of <laughs> sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's amazing the stuff that 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 uh, is involved. Chris, how did you balance the the, the, the focus inside the ropes and playability and, and that with all the other things that you had to manage? Um, well, it's a good question. How, how, sometimes I don't know how, you know, sometimes you just sort of like run through your day and you, uh, you know, this, this event has been, you know, it's much smaller in scale and it didn't feel that way until like Monday. And all of a sudden it was like, Holy smokes, there's, you know, stuff coming at me from every direction. Um, I think much like Chris mentioned, you know, the key for us has been um, having someone to handle the vendors and our irrigation tech, who, uh, Keith Conway, who's been here for 20 plus years and has been, you know, through this will be four championships that he's been a part of here, two PGAs, a Ryder Cup and now the KPMG. And um, he he handles that and he's he's great at it and he loves to just meet people and talk to people. So, you know, he just it's like he it's, he, he enjoys meeting these vendors, um, and chatting with them. And gosh, every day he comes back at lunch with some gut busting story about somebody he met and something he, uh, you know, some conversation he had with these guys, but he gets to know them and, and builds up this relationship with them. And then, you know, they, they don't want to let him down. So they call them and then, you know, they get a hold of them and, you know, everybody, uh, everybody sort of, uh, you know, really looks after his, you know, what he's doing because they, 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 you know, have such a, good, a nice respect for him and uh, he's amazing and he does it without, without ever, uh, man, the guy never gets flustered. And, and uh, I think knock on wood, but this event, we have not yet, nobody's said anything yet. So um, we're doing, we're doing, he's doing a pretty good job. So uh, that's key though. You know, if those people were calling me for stuff, it'd be a disaster. I'd never remember to get back to him or tell him that he needed to go do something. So. <laughs> yeah, but you, you bring up a good point because um, to to put on an event like this requires leadership and it requires a team. And so, you know, um, mm -hmm. you, you know, I know you focus a lot on on your team and, and the development of the guys and gals that work for you. 
Um, and that's kind of what you're describing here is finding the right people to take the right task. Well, I'll give you another good example. Just this morning um, or this afternoon, we were talking about an application we wanted to make, uh, a soluble application, quarter pound of nitrogen on our uh, around kind of surrounding our fairways and up and around the greens. And we were going to do it this afternoon. Um, and then, you know, I called on the radio and I said, hey, you know, I think we're uh, I'm a little worried about the lack of humidity and you know, the sun and, um, you know, the carrier rate on one of the machines is one gallon. And I just I think I'd rather do this in the evening or in the morning. And so then I just let all the guys, my assistant and the two guys who are going to make the application and one of our other applicators, I just let them all come back with their own opinions about it. And, uh, you know, we had a brief little back and forth for two minutes and we came up with a great plan. And I think that that's the key to something like this is to not feel like, um, you know, as the person in charge that you have to make all of those decisions um, because that's when you, that's when you do get stressed. And that's when I think things slip by the wayside is if you try to capture all of that um, landscape and you try to, you know, be the ultimate authority on every, every single thing that's happening and not let anybody else uh make any kind of a decision out there, then, you know, that's when, that's when bad stuff starts to happen. And that's when stress comes and that's when, you know, people get upset and, and um, that sort of thing. And, you know, we've, we've stayed away from that. And I think that's a big reason, you know, people out there are looking for the same sort of thing that I'm looking for. And, and uh, you know, we just have a great team here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. And, and um, Chris over there for the Ryder cup, um, you know, what do you think is going to be different about the Ryder cup from what you've learned from guys like, Chris Tritterball and others about the Ryder Cup. What do you think might be different about managing and leading and just producing the the, the gold product as opposed to one of your PGA championships? Uh, you know, I don't. I guess that's a kind of a deep question. The uh, you know, having gone through a couple of PGA championships, I, when the first one was basically when I first got a superintendent's job. So I think I was a superintendent. I got my first job in two thousand nine, uh, two thousand ten was the PGA championship. So I was still kind of getting my, my uh, kind of my management legs, if you will. So moving into 15, you know, I, it was kind of just go, 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 you know, like Chris had mentioned the, I, I forget to go to the bathroom, you know, during the tournament, you go back to the shop just cause you got to go to the bathroom. And then you leave and you're like, I came here to go to the bathroom, you know, <laughs> like, whoops. Yeah. But you Something get so many, direct, so many directions that you're, you know, you what I've learned and what I've kind of started to implement since 15, I think 15, I was still kind of, kind of pulling back a little bit, but still kind of a, for lack of a better term, kind of a hard charger in some of the, my mindset and some of my decisions and how I made decisions was more of, I, you know, I felt the responsibility. So I wanted to make a lot of the decisions. And, you know, since then I've, I've started to move more towards getting people the right information so that they can be in a position to make the decision for themselves. And, you know, that's kind of the, what I'm hoping and what I hope to maintain and to foster going into 2020 is placing people in places that they want to be, you know, just like Chris had mentioned, keep, uh, you know, locate irrigation, you know, that's, you take pride in it when you're doing something, you, you take pride in that, that work that you do and your part that you have in the whole process. And, you know, we're kind of the, you know, without being the, uh, you know, bringing up some, some sore things. I know people want to, you know, oh, the golf course superintendent doesn't get recognized enough on TV or whatever it is. And that's fine to me. That's what I've always looked at it from a standpoint of during a PGA championship, if they don't mention the course conditions, like then I did my job. Um, 
and I don't right. I don't really necessarily need the the notoriety or anything like that. And we don't get it. But when you give the guys that opportunity to show what they can do, uh, I think it just makes the management of it and the chaos that's that's bound to ensue a little bit more manageable when you can break that into little chunks. You know, it's kind of like the uh, how to eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. It's kind of everybody's, you know, taking a bite out of the elephant during the tournament, just one bite at a time. And it, it seems to help things out, um, you know, in our daily operations. And I think it will trans like transfer over to the Ryder cup quite well. Well, it, it's going to be really interesting to, um, have you both back on again and, and, and talk about those experiences from, once you have the Ryder Cup as it compared to the PGA Championship, and then Chris, when this is all over at Hazeltine, how that was different. But, you know, um, the, the golfing world is eyes are on both of you guys. And, and I want to congratulate you both for just producing great product and great people and, and contributing to, to the game so well. And uh, thank you again for your time. Um, I hope everybody watches the KPMG Women's PGA Championship at Hazeltine National this week. Fellas, thanks for being on the course reports. Yeah, thanks so much, Curtis, for, for inviting us. Yeah, thanks for having having us on. And everybody should check out your, uh, you should throw a plug in for your YouTube. That's, uh, that videos, those are awesome. Hey, um, I appreciate that. Yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> we got a new one coming out. Um, it's, uh, it's actually up there now. We'll start promoting it next week, but it features the Rocket Mortgage Classic at Detroit Golf Club. So give it a look yeah. and um, send us your feedback because we're having fun and we love hearing what people want to hear about. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I, those are awesome videos. Well, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch everybody next week. Wow, what a great conversation with Chris and Chris. A big thank you to them for their time and sharing all that insight for, with us and you, the listener. And a big thank you to everybody that's been listening each week, that's been subscribing to our channel, both the YouTube channel and the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Don't forget, you can check it all out at our website at thecoursereports.com. And speaking of that video, the new one is out. Episode two of The Course Reports on site, featuring Detroit Golf Club and the first annual Rocket Mortgage Classic. Jake Mendoza, the head superintendent, does a great job giving all our viewers all the kind of information that you just can't find anywhere else. You know, that's what we're all about is trying to get you the information you really can't get in other places, giving it to you straight, smooth and true facts. You know the deal. Again, we appreciate it. we got a lot of great episodes planned for you, and we're going to keep working hard to get that content pushed out. So again, thanks for tuning in to The Force Reports, and we'll catch you next week.